Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, this is um, part of a continuing series that I'm doing on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to hear some of the other parts, um, you can download them uh, on the Aspen Chapel podcast from Apple or Google Play or check out our YouTube channel. Now, the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, and in the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us the spiritual journey that the soul has got to take in order to live within the nature of Christ, a journey that takes us from not knowing to a full realization of the nature of reality. Jesus then goes on in the salt and light passage to stress the importance of making the most of those realizations. So he starts with a journey that we've got to undertake. He stresses the importance of doing the work. And then he goes to lay out a map of the territory that we're going to be living with. He starts uh, with the law of the land and he gives us a new perspective. And we spoke about that last week, seeing life from a non-dual position, one where there's no distinction between heaven and earth. And we therefore have a new way to look at law and order and everything that includes that. How we put that into action now comes in this next passage. Jesus says, you have heard that it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand him your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. These passages really show how Jesus is turning the Jewish rabbinic law on its head. They are a riposte to those Old Testament verses in Leviticus, where it says, And a man who injures his countrymen, as he has done, so it shall be done to him, namely, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as another person has received an injury from him, so it will be given to him. That's the Old Testament. And here Jesus is saying completely the reverse. Don't resist the evil person. If anyone wants to sue you, hand over your coat. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. If anyone asks you, You know, don't turn away from anyone who wants to borrow from you. Completely the reverse. He's showing a new perspective on law. One that realizes that actually we're all connected. 
all on the same team. And therefore, what's the point in fighting amongst ourselves? Like Aikido, we have to flow with whatever comes towards us. I always love these guru stories. And one of my favorite has the guru meditating in his meditation room. Meanwhile, a thief breaks into his house, one of the other rooms, and steal practically, steals practically all his possessions. On coming out of the meditation, the guru sees that the thief has taken practically everything except a brass candlestick. And he picks up the brass candlestick and rushes after the thief. And when he catches up to the thief, he says, you forgot this, and gives him the candlestick. It's going with the flow of life, taking what comes our way and using it with the power of love. So the law that Jesus is advocating here is the law of love, the realization that our role is to give love to all of creation, not just the bits that we like, not just family first, but everyone the same. The idea, again, that we spoke about last week, the equality of particularity. Particularity is everything that has a particular nature. You, me, this lectern, trees, water, plants, elements, everything has a particular nature. And the idea is that everything has an equal value in the spiritual world. Just as no one chemical element is more important than another, or no one string of Julia's viola is more important than another string, so all aspects of the divine spiritual expression have equal value, whether or not our own particular perspective always wants to make one thing more important than another. Everything is of the same divine nature, and therefore everything is equal in its divinity. And therefore we should love everything equally. Love your neighbors uh, uh, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He's saying that we must be like the universal mind. We must be like the ground of all being that gives to anyone with no expectation of return, that loves equally, that reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous, the sun that shines on the good and the evil. Even if you love those who love you, what reward is that to you? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And there's that word perfect again from the Greek word teleos. Not just meaning, it doesn't mean everything's right. You know, we like to think nowadays it's something, if I'm perfect, everything is in order. No, teleos means being complete. Jesus is asking us to express our completeness by not being partial, not favoring one against the other. It comes from the realization that we are all one. And so, as the Tao Te Ching says in this case, you have to think of your enemy 
as the shadow that you yourself cast. It is a stance of responsibility for the whole universe rather than just your little bit. This is the new consciousness that Jesus is trying to usher in. And you know, we're still working on it. Ilya Delio, uh, we're doing a, a, a program with her in October, was asked why, if Christianity has all the answers, have these problems still not been cleared up? And she replied that it's still early in the time span of the evolution of consciousness. We're still working out these ideas. Even though it's 2,000 years later, it's still a short period of time. We're still working it all out. And it takes still more for a shift in consciousness in this area to take place. But I think, you know, we are getting there. In our, in our lifetimes, we've had Gandhi, the Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela and Dr. King, all who we know have lived out their lives from this consciousness. And we also have all those that we don't know, the millions who've been living this truth quietly in their lives over the centuries. Dr. King preached on this particular passage, yeah, and uh, a famous sermon, and this is a little bit from that. He says, when Jesus says, love your enemies, when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's significant that he doesn't say, like your enemy. Like is a sentimental something, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find difficult to like, Dr. King says. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say to me. And I don't like what they say to other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But Jesus says, love them. And love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have agape, you have love in your soul. And here you come to the point that you love the individual who does the deed while hating the deed that the person does. That's what Jesus means when he says, love your enemy. This is the way we do it. When the opportunity presents itself, when we can defeat our enemy, you must not do it. As Dr. King in that passage implies, here is a new world order that Jesus is suggesting that is a completely committed position. It comes from going on the journey described in the Beatitudes. It comes from the realization that the work that each of us does is important. It comes from seeing the world from the perspective of heaven and earth becoming one, of there being an equality of particularity. And all of that brings us to realizing that love is the only response to any situation. Do not resist the evil person. Give to the one who asks of you. Love your enemies. Be perfect, just as your father is perfect. We're being asked to take the stance that God is taking, to take the stance that the universe takes, to love without discrimination and with no expectation of return. 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven, that you may be, that we may be the same kin and nature as the universal mind, that we may be one with the ground of all being. We're being asked to become as loving as God on the earth and therefore enable the will of the divine to be done. Now, this is seen as difficult and problematic in our day-to-day living, but it's only when we have a partial view of our lives because we think that there's some place to get to, because we think there's something that we have to achieve personally, it becomes problematic. We think this is our one life and therefore we must make the best of it and try to get the best for ourselves, our family and our country. All of which is a partial view. It's a one-sided view. And it's this idea of an us and them that creates the problems. When you look at life as a whole, when you see all humanity as a whole, all living things as a whole, when you see all nations as a whole on one planet, then the difficulty becomes more manageable. Then we see our lives individually as a contribution to the greater whole. When we see ourselves in this way as living sacrifices, sacrificia, we're made holy, then our duty becomes clear. Our duty is not to our family and friends or our country, which are all partial constructions of the mind. Our duty is to the very present moment that is set before us at any one time, whatever that might contain. It may contain friends and family, and they can sometimes present extra challenges in the area of going the extra mile and giving to those who ask. It may contain strangers who come up to us. It may contain people who do us ill. But it's all a part of a whole that we're responsible for, a whole that's presenting itself in a certain way to us at a certain time. And it's our love that's required, not our judgment. And this sort of openness, this sort of way of being, can only really be acquired through practice, through practicing a love for the present moment as it presents itself, and not being distracted by our mind's desire to tell us how to react. And that practice is, of course, the practice of prayer and meditation and study. It's not innate to believe in a loving way to all things. What is innate is to be partial and to protect and to control our lives. Just look at the way that children behave. We're born like that to survive. But this is not about our survival. This is about our evolution. It's about consciousness evolving from survival to an expression of love. And we have to train for that. We think that not resisting the evil person giving to the one who asks you, 
loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you is almost impossible because we think of it from a place of our own survival. When you look at it from a place of love, a place of being complete, a place of fulfilling our destiny as a part of evolution, then it makes complete sense. Of course, we'd want to do that. And so we practice it because we want to live it out in the reality of our daily lives. And that means cultivating that patience not to react to friends and family. It means being aware of our judgments. And it means recognizing that the aspects of others that we condemn are often aspects of ourselves. Dr. King says in that same sermon on this passage, hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. Somewhere, somebody must have a little sense, and that's the strong person. The strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate. And that is the tragedy of life, that it doesn't cut it off. It only intensifies, hate only intensifies the existence of evil and hate in the universe. Someone must have religion enough and morality enough to cut it off and inject within the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. Practically, Dr. King says the way to do that uh, in order to love your enemies, he says, first, you must analyze yourself. That's an important thing. Just be aware of your reactions. Secondly, an individual um, must discover the element of good in his enemy. So analyze oneself, discover the element of good. And when the opportunity presents itself to defeat your enemy, that's the time you mustn't do it. So we must look into our hearts, it says, like, like in the 12 steps, we must take that inventory of what we see. We must realize that hate is not born in others and they've learned it somehow. And there's something of the divine in each of us. And we must resist the opportunity to humiliate or tread down our enemy when it arises. All practical ways. And you can see them in the lives of those we've already mentioned, Gandhi, Dalai Lama, Dr. King and Nelson Mandela. We have to practice at being a part of that shift in consciousness, of having our lives exemplify this love, of being children of God rather than children of our tyrannical, rational minds. And all of this is grist for the mill of our day-to-day -day lives. Even today, you're going to find opportunities to not resist the evil person, to give to the one who asks you and to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. And it's only by practicing moment by moment in consciousness that we have the chance of transforming our lives and therefore being part of that greater transformation that is the evolution of consciousness. So, any, any thoughts on, on what, I be, what I was saying? I mean, really, the main thing being that uh, we just need to get that our lives aren't about ourselves. Yeah. And that uh, we're just asked to, to show up and to willingly participate. 
and in a way to let our um, to let our lives work us, you know, to let our lives kind of be done unto us in a way, you know, like let let relationships, especially you know, our difficult relationships, and you know, let them work us, let it let it really be grist for the mill kind of thing. Um, so, so that yeah, that's that was my main. Yeah, that's right. I think you know what comes our way. You know, we want to sometimes push it away and think, oh, I don't want that. But actually what comes our way is what we are given to deal with. That's the raw materials uh, for our lives. And I love, you know, it says enemies in this passage. You know, I love your enemies. But actually, I think in, in the context of enemies in this passage, it means love all those things that actually cause you difficulty in your life. You know, it could be, you know, a health problem. It could be a financial problem. It could be any circumstances, the idea that, that we have to approach it with love, even the pandemic. You know, how do we approach the pandemic with love? You know, it, do we allow it to inform us or do we simply say, no, I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to pay any attention to that. This is my life. I'm going to get on with it. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to just, you know, do whatever I want to do. Whereas... There is a compassionate response, I think, even to the pandemic in terms of an enemy. Yeah, I feel like it's about uh, accepting reality as it is. Yeah. Accepting that this is this, exactly what it is, is what it is, and, um, and then working with that. And that old line about how you, how you see anything is how you see everything, or how you love anyone is how you love everyone. In a sense, what, what we're talking about here is our inner stance of loving. It's about our capacity for loving and that love doesn't discriminate. Like, as you were saying, love doesn't say, oh, well, I'm going to love this person, but not this person. It's about our, the inner, our inner, our interiority that is a loving state. I like that. How, how, how you respond to anything is how you respond to everything. I think that's really interesting. The fact that... that, that, that our response to circumstances shows our general perspective, and we need to be aware of that. Like if we're if we're loving this person but not this person, yeah. that just shows us the extent to which we're still caught up in our egoic self yeah. that discriminates. Yeah. And what we need to cultivate through practice, what you were saying, is um, is a, a loving state that just loves, yeah. doesn't choose. And I don't think we should beat ourselves up if we don't do that all the time. Because, you know, we're human. Yeah. Of course we're going to, you know, get sucked into stuff. But the key thing, I think, is to, is to see it when you're doing it. To see when you're actually doing it and, and realize that you're doing it. And try, you know, to get better. You know, with, with the kids, you know, I, I sometimes find myself responding in, in ways that, you know, I don't seem particularly loving at the time. And I do have to reflect on that and think, well, how can I be more loving in that situation and I, I don't think just because you know we fall at, at the first hurdle we shouldn't we should beat ourselves up all the time because it, we're a work in progress completely yeah but I really like the the big vision that you set out in your talk which yeah. is that is not that we just love our enemies because Jesus told us to yeah it's that every single time that we choose to respond out of love yeah that we're contributing to the whole evolution of consciousness like yeah. we're, it's a, con a contribution to the unfolding of the world and that that's feels so meaningful you know and the key thing is that is that you matter you know that we matter and we, we write ourselves off because you know we're not sort of 
important and things like that. We write ourselves off and think, I don't matter. What, what, what good is it to me? You know, I'm just a drop in the ocean. Well, I had someone say the other day, you know, but the ocean is made up of drops. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's empowering. It is know. empowering. Great. Good. Well, if you want more of that conversation, let's have it on the, uh, the Zoom call afterwards if you're interested yeah. in that. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.